Hello, and welcome to Faith Like a Child podcast. I'm Morgan Satry, here, as per usual, with Megan Clark. Hello. So yes, we're we're already kind of rare, rough and raring to go here because we've been talking about our topic for a little while before we started recording. But um, since this is going to be releasing during Holy Week, I think, either mm-hmm. Holy Week or the week before Holy Week, I think it's Holy Week though, we are going to spend some time talking about the crucifixion, specifically the question, why did Jesus have to suffer and die? Um, for those of you who have been listening since the beginning, we've been kind of tracking some of our questions with um, the Apostles' Creed roughly kind of guiding us. So we are talking about Jesus and obviously a lot of what is in the various creeds and what we believe centers around this idea of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so um, there's, we also know there's, I don't know if there's any harder topic to talk about than anything related to death. Megan, I don't know. I think, I feel like that's anything connected to that is going to be the hardest topic we've ever had to talk about with our kids. Uh, yeah, at least up to this point that, that has been the, the most difficult topic. With a disclaimer that neither of us have kids in puberty, so we haven't had to go through the awkward of like the talk yet. Oh, but. no, 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 no. Uh, the closest I came is Rory when he was five asked me um, why the doctors open up, opened up my belly to put the baby in and then had to cut the baby back out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and, oh, look, Bluey's on. <laughs> and I dodged it. Chris is averted. <laughs> like any good mom, I ran. <laughs> yeah. I am not having that conversation with my then five-year-old. Yeah. I was not ready. He may have been ready. I was not ready. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. There is a time and a place. That is not the time. But yes, up to this point, yeah, the, the concept yeah. of death has been the most difficult conversation. Yeah. So... I, I want to put a pin in that because I think conversations about death in general are really hard for a culture, which is why it makes this conversation harder. Um, but I want to start first with our, you know, kind of our routine of how have we talked about some of these things with our kids and then get back into the question of why it's so hard. Um, and I, I uh, will be honest in that since I have just a three-year-old, like this is probably the first Easter cycle well, it is the first Easter cycle that Nora's been really aware of, like, the thought of there being an Easter story. She, ironically, has gotten really obsessed with the um, the Easter video from, I'm going to say it wrong now because I always think it's one. It's either Crosswalk Kids. Crossroads. Crossroad Kids. Yeah, I always pick the wrong <laughs> one first. Crossroad Kids. I think it's Crossroads for Kids. Something like that. <laughs> on YouTube. I'll put actually put a link to this video in the show notes because it, it's not a bad one. Um, it's an interesting one. But she is kind of obsessed with watching it, even though there's parts of it that scare her because they ha- they kind of depict and talk about, you know, the whole the crucifixion story. So it talks about Jesus being on a cross and dying. And there's this, there's this moment like when he dies, they go silent. And then all of a sudden there's kind of like the rumble of the earthquake that it talks about and the sound of a curtain ripping to kind of you know talk about some of that stuff that happens in scripture and she always covers her ears for that part Mm. (laughs) but she loves to watch it over she's like i don't like that part and i was like that's actually the most interesting part but you know didn't obviously say that but it's like (laughs) that so like we kind of have talked about this a little bit um it's always kind of tricky because usually she's watching these videos this is how i get her to sit still long enough to brush her hair either in the morning or in the evening is to watch a little video on youtube um 
so usually she's preoccupied with watch the video then go play or watch Mm -hmm. the video then go to bed um so we haven't had too deep of discussions on this yet um i've definitely had a lot of rough conversations and long very thoughtful conversations with friends and family who are older but not so much with my kids yet yeah how about you we um we we've definitely had those conversations with rory um and with killian to an extent aon who is also three um has been you know she also has is just now starting to realize that there's a little more to it um than than just you know oh easter oh it's just it's another holiday where i get candy and um i get to wear a pretty dress when i go to church and you know she she's starting to realize that there's like christmas there's there's more to more to the story um but we haven't gotten gone too deep she knows that jesus died and um and you know the very very simplistic um version of it but she doesn't know any of the uh gory details let's say Mm -hmm. uh rory Mm -hmm. who is going to be eight in may is now starting to ask kind of more of those difficult questions kind of about well well how did they get him up on the cross and what Mm -hmm. exactly was it like and you know why did i see a picture in my he has one of those um action bibles that's like a comic book that's Mm -hmm. a bible that they gave to Mm -hmm. him i think when he i don't know they gave it to him for something that he did at church and he's like mom why is there a picture of jesus um basically like having the cross on his shoulder and he looks like he's hurt and you know why and and what's digging into his like he's starting to ask me like the deep Mm -hmm. why am i seeing this imagery like why what you know, and it, 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 he's starting to realize that it's a lot more simple than he went to sleep, he woke up. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, Josh and I have been starting to slowly have that, that conversation um, in bits. Rory is a very emotionally aware child, um, mm-hmm. sensitive, but more just aware and almost empathetic to where he really takes on when he sees other people in pain. So we've been very careful about, you know, how fast we give him the details. Maturity-wise, he could probably handle it, but his little heart, mm. I don't know yet. So we're 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 treading 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 carefully for a little bit just to make sure that he's ready. Um cuz we don't want him to be so freaked out that he like just turns off and it's like I don't want to talk about it. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know. So we're mm-hmm. we're 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 trying to, you know, ease our way into that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually one where I'd be curious to hear from my Catholic friends, which if you're listening, you should ping me, text me, let me know, because I want to know. But I feel like, kind of like we talked about a little bit last week, it's going to be a little different depending on if you're in a tradition that A, celebrates Lent, but also B, like, I'm especially thinking of of Catholic churches, but if you have crucifixes or other art things that depict the suffering of Christ in, like, whether it's stained glass or different ways, because, like, when I think of my church growing up, we had a cross, a bare cross at the front, and that, like, in Lent, it would be wrapped in purple. Then on Easter, that purple would turn to white. Um, and so there's, like, symbolism and meaning in it, but you don't have, like, the picture of Christ crucified. Whereas, like, if you're in a church, 
with a crucifix, whether it's a Catholic church or like you're maybe repurposing an old Catholic church that has some of that imagery in stained glass or something like like that's very, very, <laughs> very blatantly front and center from a young age. Um, and so I, I imagine for some people that's going to be conversations that start happening a little earlier but at the same time, maybe not because they're like so kind of in tune to it. Like it doesn't like that kind of idea of like, oh, that's actually a depiction of like suffering and pain mm-hmm. might be a little like I don't, I don't know at what age that would start to kind of sink in for kids who are living in, you know, otherwise healthy, happy home lives that yeah. don't have, a, you know, the biggest suffering as a skin knee playing on the playground kind of a thing. Yeah. Um. So I'd be curious to hear about that if you want to share. Um. But I think it is definitely a question that comes up for older kids that I know of. And obviously it's a, it's a pretty important question for us as adults too. So we're going to, there's a lot of different aspects that we could talk about. Um, but I want to, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the why it's so hard, why we think it's kind of so hard on multiple levels. And then there's going to be um, basically three kind of, we'll call them sub questions, I guess. Um, just to kind of help us shape this conversation. Um, the questions of why did it need to happen? Kind of like, or I, I should say how, kind of the first question about like, why did Jesus let it happen? Why did it need to happen? And then kind of um, how, like, how does it work? We're going to get a little bit into theories of atonement. Um, and so the, the, kind of overarching conversation for this is going to necessarily got to be like us talking about it to help us process it as adults and then kind of the goal at the end of the episode is to spend a little time thinking about how we might try to distill some of it or figure out how to help discern like you said like like for you specifically I'm thinking Megan of like Rory like you said he's you know he's old enough to handle some details but maybe emotionally or like just his heart is not ready for it so maybe we can talk a little bit about how we can discern some of that after we've been thinking about through all of this ourselves um yeah, yeah because to get into the question of why it's hard i mean <laughs> i think maybe the easier question is why isn't it hard <laughs> because everything about the crucifixion especially is it's hard because you are there there's a lot of questions about you know just the theology of like like the, why it needs to happen some of these sub questions we're going to get into but also just like yeah like we as a especially in the u.s like we don't like to talk about suffering we we do everything we can to avoid suffering pain and death um to the point where even like in our churches i was thinking about i think about this pretty regularly because i drive you know when i take my when i take nora to preschool a few days a week i drive by usually depending on the route i take two to three cemeteries um that are near old churches and you know so we have had a few conversations like what are those mom like because there's all these you know headstones in there but like most of the churches that i go to now or church buildings i've been in like they don't have cemeteries nearby and that that's not like that's very increasingly very common for people to go to church in buildings that aren't next to cemeteries where you know several even 50 years ago like that would have been kind of unthinkable so you you have already from just church life removed the very presence of death right outside your door 
um, to say nothing of the broader cultural conversations and how we are very bad about talking about death, about suffering, about all these things that we're actively trying to use science and medicine and everything to avoid mm -hmm. for as long as possible. Um, so right there, you're going to just have this reluctance to want to talk about something this visceral. Um, and I think, I mean, all of you who are like me of a certain age and remember when Passion of the Christ came out in theaters mm. and just, I saw that in, it was either seventh or eighth grade. I know it was middle school. Um, I can't remember which year it came out now. Um, but like I, Hey, I just, I know I went with my dad and my brother and I just remember like bawling pretty much the whole, <laughs> the whole movie. But like, just like that visceral realization of like how much pain it is to the point where you're like the, like, I know there was like, Oh, it's like, you know, torture porn or whatever, where it's like, we're just, you know, relishing in it. But it's like, no, it's like the realization of like just how brutal this whole process mm -hmm. was. Um, yeah. And like how brutal the process of crucifixion in general was, let alone like mm -hmm. the beating beforehand and everything. So yeah, right there, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and then of course you're like, okay, so then how do I talk about this kind of stuff with, you know, a kid? Right. Cause you don't want your kids to be exposed to things like that. Like there's a reason we try and keep, you know, kids from watching violent movies or basically doing everything we can to shelter them from the idea of death and suffering to the point, however much we can until, you know, it touches our family's lives in one way or another. So I think the, the first thing that I think is really important for us to clarify just for us in general as believers, let alone for our children, and maybe a helpful starting point is to really kind of emphasize how intentional it was. And that feels really wrong in a lot of ways because we don't want it. We, again, because we're so averse to pain and suffering, there's this sense like, we should not be highlighting the fact that Christianity is built around this extremely violent thing, but it's very clear from scripture from not just the gospels, although it's <laughs> extremely prevalent in the gospels, but like the entirety of the Bible that like Jesus absolutely did this intentionally. Like he's not an, you know, not an accident, not a hapless victim. I've seen several memes actually recently on social media about like, remember that Jesus didn't die to save everyone from sin. He died as a victim of the state and da, 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 da. And it's like, and it, and it's like, I, I, I get what kind of political point they're trying to make, but I'm like, that makes it sound like he's like this hapless victim. And that is absolutely not who he was. Um, you know, we've got, he predicts his death, his own, like to his disciples multiple times in every gospel. We've got, I mean, okay, I have three, three verses here of, that I kind of highlighted cause I had, they struck me as I was, have been doing my reading of the gospels for Lent. So you got Mark ten thirty two. again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. This is like the third time he's told them this already in Mark. You got Luke nine. 51 when he's about to start on his journey to Jerusalem on that big road trip and as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem because he knew that's where he was going to die is kind of implied there you got John 13 1 
It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I mean, and John especially is full of like references of like, this was not his time. He knew it was not his time. Like he escaped other attempts at his life because it was not his time. Like he very was like very much in control the whole time. And so <laughs> it gets kind of back, tilts back a little bit into the question of why do bad things happen and, and why does God allow bad things to happen? Um, and I don't, I don't know if we're going to really get into that today, but that I think that's kind of the, f- the first aspect I would absolutely want to make sure my kids are aware of from the beginning. Like once they're old enough to really start digging into these questions and Megan, I'd be curious to see how you think this might be helpful or not helpful for Rory, but like, like it's a hard topic, but you know, this is what God's plan was. This is what Jesus, like he didn't want to do it. He was trying, praying to find another way in Gethsemane, but yet he was like, I'm going to do this because it's your will. Like there's that sense of I'm going to do this the whole time. Yeah. But it's not um, – and this is something I've always thought. And again, as Morgan and I have said in in our previous podcasts, we are not Bible scholars. This is just, <laughs> you know, from our reading, our experience, you know, so you can take what we have to say with a grain of salt. But from my, my own thought and experience, um, it's – we, you know, no one is going to sc- – skip toward the cross being like, all right, they're about to crucify me. This is going to be the mm-hmm. most excruciatingly pa- physically painful thing, not to mention I'm about to be separated from my father, mm-hmm. which has never happened before. Mm-hmm. You know, these are horribly difficult things. No one is going to skip to it like, woohoo, bring it on. Yeah, you know. He was understandably not looking forward to it. But does that does that mean that he went kicking and screaming. No, he, he wasn't excited about it, but he was willing, um, from my, you know, from my perspective, my, my thought process. Um, and it's something that I feel is, is very, very important for our kids to understand that this is not one of those situations. And this is, this is in a way how I've explained it to how Josh and I have explained it to Rory, the example of, um, you have a toy, you love it, your sibling wants to play with it. Um, and you don't really want to share. It's my toy. What if they break it? You know, so you can do two things. One, you can, um, I, you know, either, I, I really think that you should let your sibling have, have a turn. Um, but I don't want to. I understand that. But but you really should, you know, it'd be the loving thing to do. Let them, let them have a turn. So, you know, there one or two things can happen here. Either Rory can willingly be like, you know what, I don't want to, but I want to love my sibling. So here you go. And he gave it out of the goodness of his heart, even though he wasn't super excited about it. He did it because he loves his siblings and he wants them to be happy. Or Rory, give it to your sibling. You need to let somebody else have a turn. You need to learn to share. And then he has to give it like basically being forced against his will you know which which option would be the most desirable you know obviously as a parent or for him and we explain this to him as a um as a way to in a very simplistic way of kind of explaining to him that choice and why the heart matters why that choice matters 
you know, that Rory choosing to let his sibling borrow that toy because he does love his sibling and does want them to, you know, get the blessing of playing with that toy too, even though it's painful for him to, you know, to give it up. He's doing it. He's choosing. He's not mm-hmm. being forced to. He's not, you know, at the end of the day, he is choosing to let to let go. I'm not having to pry it out of his hand, you know. And so I'm like, the heart matters. That that mm-hmm. heart decision matters. Um, and so that's kind of in his, you know, in, in, in his young, young brain, that, that was kind of the best example we could come up with, with kind of explaining to him that decision of, uh, that Christ made, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in Gethsemane, you know, like I, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, you know, please let this cup pass from me. But if not, I'll do it. Like, mm-hmm. I'll do it. If this mm-hmm. is how it needs to happen, let, I'll, I'll do it. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so kind of that that sort of – that's what I got yeah. <laughs> on that yeah. topic. No, and I really like that idea because I do I agree. Again, some of this is like how – as Megan said, you're – I'm I'm the closest of the two of us to a theologian, and I could tell you that if there far. was one, if there was one <laughs> thing that I learned while I was in seminary, it's that the more you learn, the less you know, basically, when it comes to <laughs> this kind of thing. And so there is that sense of like how, because again, like that's he, the whole premise of why I started the show is because it's like how do you condense these things down to an idea, a concept mm-hmm. that can be, and that's literally what the entire Bible is of like how do we, how does God kind of condense things down for us mm-hmm. to a ways that we can imperfectly understand because we can't ever fully comprehend. So I, I do really like that analogy. I think that's actually really helpful for helping young kids. Well, that's where that Josh choice. and I kind of try to parent from is that that exactly that. How did Jesus try to teach big concepts to people? He mm-hmm. told stories. Mm-hmm. He gave examples. He simplified it. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of the way that Josh and I have tried to approach a lot of these bigger topics is kind of creating our own little, not necessarily parables, but you know, little little Rory stories. Mm-hmm. He calls them Rory stories. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Mommy, and is actually- this another Rory story? Yes, it is, buddy. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh man, that actually, and that feeds well into kind of the next question that I kind of wanted to for us to talk about a little bit because. we get into a sub question of why did this why did the crucifixion need to happen in the first place right like why why this particular path that you know that this cup that jesus had to to, to swallow for us and drink for us and um so that's the story of the bible right to talk about big stories and little stories like this I'm going to be really, really broad here because this is like incorporating a lot of things from different videos and books. And I joked with Megan, I was like, if there's enough demand, so if you want this, you've got to let me know. But I'm just like, maybe I'll have to just do like a nerd corner, like academic nerd corner sometime of like, if you just want a bonus episode, basically, of me going in depth into like, and here is the 15 books that I read from this class and what they say about this, da 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 da, and like basically read a whole <laughs> research paper. But um, I do try and I'll try and put some helpful links in the show notes as I go along. She is a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> I am a wealth of accumulating other people's knowledge. That's that's the goal. <laughs> but of the you share it life, so right? well. Oh, I try, I try. <laughs> but yes, this idea of um, 
the why it needs to happen, like why did it need to happen, and and how the Bible kind of reveals it for us in this way. And I, this is one I'll definitely link in the show notes. There's a couple really helpful Bible project videos that are kind of overviews. Um, I don't remember exactly which ones by name because I've watched many of them recently. Um, I know one is kind of just the intro to the New Testament, but I'll I'll retract them down and link them in the show notes. But there's this they're really helpful in kind of showing this big picture way in a visual way. Um, but really when you, when you look at the story of the Bible and the, the story of the old Testament and the new Testament, right there, it can feel like there's such a big disconnect sometimes, but really it's the old Testament is highlighting God's plan and how essentially in a way, how it can't work without Jesus, right? Because you have the story of Israel primarily in the old Testament and you have this idea of the cosmic what's what's the you know what's at play here you have the the fall the fall caused by satan um the power of the spiritual and demonic forces like the kind of the supernatural elements of it um which is a whole other topic we won't dive into today but that's i mean you can't understand the biblical reasons for the crucifixion without acknowledging the reality of spiritual and demonic forces uh, in my experience, which <laughs> that's another reason why Americans in particular, I think, have a hard time sometimes talking about why this needed to happen. Um, but I'm not going to go on that that side soapbox because I'm going to get on this main so- soapbox here about why the Old Testament is actually very relevant to the New Testament. Um, but, you know, when you read the Old Testament and when you read the scripture, it's like it's very clear. And he actually, this is what the book of Hebrews is really about, too. So that's where rereading Hebrews can be really helpful. It's like everything around in the Bible is oriented to the idea that humanity has fallen into sin on its own volition and there's nothing that we can do on our own um, to fix it, to repair it. Uh, You know, it's, there's this death and separation that's carried out on a cosmic scale that demands restitution and justice on a cosmic scale. Um, And humanity just can't live up to that promise. And how do we know this? It's because like God has literally given Israel every opportunity to kind of set this up. Um, It's, you know, I'm going to pick one aspect. There's so many aspects that you could dive into. And this is where, again, if you want a nerd corner episode, (laughs) but I would say like, listen, watch the the, um, Bible project podcast link or episodes that I'll put videos that I'll put in here because they get into this really well. But take, for example, the founding of Israel in Genesis, right? You have, um, the call of Abraham kind of comes in context and of Noah comes in context of talking about uh, the Nephilim, which is like these demon giants, basically they're fallen angels that have had union with earthly women and they make all of these big powers. Well, actually a lot of what, if you like kind of are reading, especially in the original Hebrew, but you're reading some of these, like this is actually how, what the Bible says is the creation story essentially of kingdoms like Babylon and um, other great ancient powers that you know toy to themselves as like i'm so high and mighty and we are the greatest kingdom and and the bible is saying these are not of god like these are you know basically kind of demonic and um and again and again he sets up his own people kind of in contrast to them which on one level is to kind of highlight how God chooses and, and is victorious. Like that's, you know, Egypt is another one of these. So that's like, you know, the, the story in Exodus of God 
choosing Israel over Egypt, who's the greatest power of the land and calling and rescuing them and kind of humiliating Egypt in the meantime. Um, and yet God calls Israel and they are his chosen people. He's given them every, like he's made covenant with Abraham. He's made covenant with Moses, but like literally he gives the law to Moses. And before Moses even comes down the mountain, Israel has already sinned by making the golden calf. Like this is a kind of story that is repeated throughout scripture. And it just keeps like, there's like David is Israel's greatest King. He, you know, murders somebody because he had an affair with the man's wife and which I'm going to hop off my main side soapbox to do a side note on <laughs> this soapbox because I, it was so fascinating to me. And it's so important to me that, you know, women's whatever month we're in to acknowledge the power of women. When in Matthew, he refers to Solomon being the son of Uriah's wife. Like there's been, I have had so many readings where everyone's like, and this is like kind of that subtle dig at Bathsheba because she doesn't even get named like the other women in the genealogy, which, which first of all, women named in genealogies is like completely foreign to a concept. So the fact that a woman is named in the genealogy, let alone five of them is like actually pretty magnificent. Um, but that it's a dig at Bathsheba. And it's like, no, actually it's not a dig at Bathsheba. It's a dig at David because she remained faithful to Uriah. David is the one that caused everything from beginning to end. And so like, he's the one who essentially sexually assaulted and raped her, got her pregnant. She told him what had happened. He tried to make Uriah help him cover up the crime, but Uriah was too honorable. So he killed Uriah. <laughs> and this is all like, this is, David, the man after God's own heart that, you know, that God, that God identifies him, which that's a whole other complicated, God. like we could have a whole, maybe someday we'll have to have a whole episode on David and, and the complicated example that he provides because it, it is really a great example of how God is merciful, mm -hmm. <laughs> even when we definitely do not deserve it. Um, but you just it, like, again, the Old Testament is to kind of sum it up full of these stories where time and time again, God is patient. He calls Israel back to him. He calls that gives them another chance to fulfill their covenant promise to kind of basically be the Eden people. He has created people to be as of in the garden of Eden and time and time again, Israel falls short and just rejects them blatantly and spirals out of control to the point where, you know, Israel's destroyed. They go into exile. And so you have, this is what, you know, the Old Testament is about. And then enter Jesus, the promised Messiah, who's been promised the whole time from Genesis 3 on. And he, his whole life is like, especially if you read Matthew, he walks the path Israel should have walked. He goes through a temptation in the desert. He has all of these kind of moments where he, like, like okay, t temptation in the desert. Satan tempts him with food. The Israelites complained about manna in the, and quail and everything in the desert that led to their wanderings for 40 years. One of, well, contributed, I should say, to it for 40 years. Um, Satan offers Jesus, um, tempts him with power, control over the land. That's another kind of parallel to some of the stuff that happened um, before they entered the promised land. And then um, I'm, <laughs> forgive me, I'm totally blanking on what the third temptation was. Bread trying to get him to make bread, trying to, oh, show off that he, like, that God has the power to save him, to cast himself off of the, the high point. Um, and the angels will save. It's like, you don't need to do that. Like, I, I know God will save me. Like, I don't need the proof of it. 
Um, and then, and then the promise about, you know, the power of over all the lands. And it's like, just in that episode alone, let alone the rest of his life, like Jesus is, is living out the example that Israel was supposed to have done and did not do. And so then you get to the crucifixion and literally Jesus is the only person who can take on the responsibility basically of what, of what we as humans cannot do. And he can do that because he is God and man, fully God and fully human, which again, that, that is going to be a whole, definitely going to be a, a future episode down the road to talk about the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ at the same time. But all really, really long diatribe to say, like all of that is to say is like kind of like similar to how we, we need to talk about how Jesus with our kids of how Jesus intentionally chose this. It's like this, if you read the Bible and really study the Bible, it's, it's not always easy to understand or comprehend, but like it becomes very clear that this was the plan all along. And I don't, I don't know if that makes it easier or harder. I don't know what, what you think. Because in some ways, you know, it's easier. It's like, yeah, this is God's plan. But then on the other hand, you're like, this was God's plan? Like, <laughs> why this? Yeah. Ugh. So the, and, and again, <sighs> okay, so one. this is the other thing that I, le- I left seminary with and have just have generally. I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, look at how everything is just so connected, right, between whole strict like it's so beautiful and all this connection and then at the same time when you start you kind of sit take a step back right and you think okay but still I don't like why this because like you know God is omnipotent God is all knowing like why this mm-hmm. yeah that that's that's a that's a hard question especially um like I, I can't even fully answer that question for myself, let alone when our little I, start to ask us that. Yeah, question. right. And I, and I, to be and, clear, I don't think it's a question we can answer, mm-hmm. right? Because that would presume that we have the mind of God, right? And yet, at the same time, it's like we are still sitting here, being like, and this. I mean, I know people. This can be a big stumbling block, and and it's so. It's kind of like so. Why this? So how do we wrestle with that ourselves? And then how mm-hmm. do we help our kids? <laughs> Right. Think about this question. And this might honestly be, I'll be curious to see what you think, Megan, but I, I have hopes to bring on a few guests in the nearest future who have older kids. I have no idea if they've talked about this question. Um, but I, I know that this comes up, especially yeah. with older kids, like when you're going through confirmation type classes or mm-hmm. catechism and you really start thinking through and, and I, I guess for me, kind of ultimately, I'm like, it's one of those moments that you kind of just have to be like, and maybe this is why we have the stories of Gethsemane of like, not my will, but your will. And I, and like me as an imperfect human, like I really do not understand why it has to be this way. Mm -hmm. And I don't like even come heaven time. I don't know if I ever fully will, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the point of faith. Like, yeah. Just that trust be. that God does things for a reason, even if it's one that we, you know, that we can't understand. I mean, I look at I look at my children and some of the things that Josh and I do or decisions that we make, it they're like, but why? Like it doesn't make any sense to them why we would do something, 
why we wouldn't allow them to do this or that or why, you know, this or that has to happen. We understand because we are adults and, you know, we have a broader understanding. They, as children, do not have that broader understanding yet. And so some of the things that we do seem completely unfair. Uh, we're, we're definitely getting into that's not fair mm. ages. Um, and we actually had a really long conversation with Rory about the difference between fair, grace, and justice. And how fair isn't necessarily something that you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and he's starting to understand that. But I mean, but these were concepts to him that were like, but if if this happens to, to so-and-so, then, you know, I must get to have it too. Like if you give this to this kid, then I, you know, and but if I get this, then you know, well, well, I'm older. And so, you know, that that's fine. But whatever you give to them, you have to give to me too. Like he, it, it's that whole, but he, they don't understand. They don't understand. Mm-hmm. They think it's completely wrong and unfair. And I, um, you know, I fully acknowledge the fact that in this, this scenario, like I am very much that child, you know, I, you know, we don't understand. We don't, we don't get it. But at the end of the day, we ask our children to trust us. We ask mm-hmm. our children to trust that we have their best interest at heart, that we see the broader picture. And even though it may seem unfair to them, we as their parents ask them to trust us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what God asks us to do as well, you know, even in something as emotionally challenging and difficult as the crucifixion. Um, and what Jesus had to endure, I think that he, you know, he asks us, you know, you may not understand, but but trust me, mm-hmm. trust who I am. Jesus had to do the same thing. You know, he had to trust this, you know, the, the wisdom of the Father. And he asked if it could, if, if there was any way to get out of it, when he realized, you know what? It's it's this way. This is it's this is the only way. He okay. I'm going in. You know, and I think that for me, um, and and this is something my husband and I argue about. Well, not really argue about. We 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 see it differently. Um, I think I mentioned this earlier in another podcast that he's a why. He he he's mm-hmm. an asker. Mm-hmm. He he wants to know why. He he wants to know well well why did God allow this? Why did this? Why did this? I'm more of a is it something that we can know? If not, okay, I am not going to let it drive me crazy. I'm not going to let it eat me up. I am just going to trust God or not. You trust him or you don't, you know, is kind mm-hmm. of the way I come at it. My husband's just like, how can you not want to know why? I'm like, because I can't know why. So I'm not going to let it drive me crazy. Yeah. So it makes for some very interesting uh, conversations. <laughs> Yes, but we definitely need both people in life because that's why I, I actually, I, I like to think of myself as being somewhere in the middle of you two, but I definitely am more, I mean, I went to seminary for <laughs> heaven's sake. I, <laughs> I would definitely say I'm more on the Josh side of things. I'm like, I got to know why. I need to understand why. But like I said, if there was one thing I learned in seminary, it's that the more I learn, the less I know overall. Mm-hmm. But I also, <laughs> A, we should put a pin in that. The question, how, how did you frame the discussion on what's fair 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. The difference between fair, grace, and justice. Yeah, we need to make that just its own episode at some point because I, I, I got would a lot love of to hear. I have got would... lots of material on. That. We're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> let Megan run that episode for sure. <laughs> that has been a very common conversation in the Clark House of late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I, we I have gotten to the point though that when I, you know, when Killian says that's not fair, Roy will go, "Don't say that. You don't want fair." <laughs> so I guess it's it's sinking in. <laughs> At least something is anyway. <laughs> Finally, you don't want the fair conversation because we had don't this do one it, before. Killian. Save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That's a story for, sure. for another time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that'll be that for that episode, right? Yeah, and I, I'm gonna spend a few minutes here because I, for the those of you who want to know the why, like me, this is where I'm gonna try and attempt to walk that road between Josh and Megan a little bit. I think for older kids, it it may be helpful. I know it was helpful for me. So for older theology nerds like me, if you have kids in high school thereabouts, it can be kind of helpful at least to know basic understanding of of the kind of idea of atonement theory and by atonement theory, I mean, of like, I mean, it's really theories that get into kind of not just why did Jesus have to die, but like, how did his death make that difference? Right? Like how did his death bridge that gap between us Mm -hmm. and humanity? And I am going to do basically, I don't even know if I would call us a 30 or 40,000 foot view. This is like maybe the view from space (laughs) kind of discussion. Um, because one, I mean, could easily spend hours talking about this, but two, like this kind of stuff has actually literally, like literally divided the church into different denominations, divided churches in, of themselves, like split congregations. And so it's to, needless to say, it's kind of a weighty topic and can be very complicated. I think um, I'm going to do a very broad overview. I think a helpful resource, which I, Another one that I'll link in the show notes is a book I've been reading recently by Scott McKnight. Scott McKnight called a community, a community called Atonement. Um, it's been a very helpful book for me to think about this because his approach to it is like he kind of takes. Maybe this is why I'm going to take this view because I've been reading this book recently. But he kind of is he takes like a a really broad overview of some of these theories of atonement, but his approach is one is not necessarily better than the other. Rather, let's look at them. Like he, he uses the analogy of a bag of golf clubs where you're not going to, if you, if you want to be a really good golfer, you're not going to play with just one club. You're going to, you know, use a variety of clubs. And so he's like, in general, when we're talking about most of these atonement theories, there's a few that he's a little skeptical of in, um, that's a you know conversation for another time or if you want to read the book you can find out why but he's like in general most of these like there's you know solid scriptural scriptural evidence for a lot of these and and some of them overlap and you know so there but there's going to be different things and he gets into how like not only there's the cultural context of like a bible verse in particular linked one way but like how where you are coming from as a person is also going to change how you feel and interpret some of these things and it kind of gets into that that idea of like if i as a christian in you know sub-saharan africa am thinking about some of these biblical passages in atonement it's going to be very different than i as a christian in england um you know a middle class middle to upper class person in england is going to read some of these and or even take here and you know you and i megan come from different slightly different backgrounds but i would say we're 
we're kind of fairly similar ish, but like how you read something is going to be different than maybe how Josh has read something because mm-hmm. I said that your husband, Josh, although probably also different than my Josh is going to read something because of how different your Josh's background has been in upbringing and some of these things. And so all that is to say is like, I think sometimes there's been a shortage of understanding on that front. So that's where I'm going to give a broad overview with the goal of, I don't think, and there's going to be any one way you might lean towards one that when you talk about this with your kids. Um, but I think it's actually just generally helpful to think through some of the ways, or it can be helpful for, mm-hmm. for kids like me out there who are trying to think about how these different theories can make us about, you know, kind of the ideas of sin, atonement, and, and the crucifixion in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, kind of be- I think thinking through them is important for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um I, I definitely agree with that. I just think uh, the way Josh says it is, I don't lose sleep over it. Yeah, <laughs> is kind of the way he puts it. Is I like I, I like to know all the different thoughts. I look at it and then I'm like, okay, there's not an answer to this. Mm-hmm. Glad I know my info. Good night. Whereas and that's where I like, think I've got to know. That's where I've like I actually have really appreciated the Scott McKnight view because mm-hmm. I do think, and again us not being full theologians. I don't know if that's actually helpful or harmful in this sense because I know plenty of theologian who has extremely robust and rigid views on some of these. And so that's where maybe we're more flexible in that sense. But I I mean, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, Jesus saved me. His death has, you know, changed my life and has, is the only way for me to be reconciled with God. Mm-hmm. And there are some of the ways when we think about, and we can, I think they'll be kind of become self-apparent when we talk about some of these theories. There are ways that they can impact how I think about my walk with God. But like, ultimately I'm like, okay, no, actually it doesn't because I, I know God has called me to do his work in the kingdom. And that's what I read in scripture and I can't be saved any other way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's how you sum it up for your kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Done. Done. Cut and print. Well, I mean, <laughs> we joke, but actually, I mean, that is that can be kind of helpful to, like, like we say at DRCC a lot. Keep the main thing. Take the main the thing. Main thing. Um, but for those of you who have kids who are like me and don't want to just stick to the main thing, but are kind of curious how they go. I have. There's five here, and depending on who you talk to, there's anywhere from like four to eight. Because again, some of these overlap. Some of them are no longer in vogue or they've been kind of absorbed into other things but this is how like to me has been the most helpful to think about kind of these five so the first one and kind of one of the oldest ones is the ransom theory of atonement so this is the one where jesus's death is a ransom sacrifice that satisfies the the debt on our souls of humanity um, because of sin this idea that there's a debt owed to somebody and actually in kind of some of the early church history that was a ransom that was paid to Satan and that's you know how they interpret some of the the New Testament passages of like how we break the bonds of Satan and death and stuff Uh, the next one is called Christus Victor or Christ the Victor um, and that's kind of an emphasis on triumphant the triumph I'm going to rephrase how I have this in my notes because I'm not going to be able to say this it emphasizes Jesus's triumph over the evil powers of the world, especially Satan, um, and kind of that the rescue of his people and establishing a new a relationship between God and the world. So this is we kind of joked about this in seminaries, like this is the Superman or the superhero one. Um, 
There's satisfaction theory. And this one can get a little bit confusing between this one, to me at least, and penal substitution. So I'm going to kind of talk about these two together to kind of then highlight what the difference is. So the, the idea of the satisfaction theory of atonement is that Christ redeems humanity by making satisfaction for, and this is it's also complicated because it gets into kind of some of like the older language of how like older theologians have viewed this, but making satisfaction for humanity's disobedience through his own, the word is super, super, superrogatory. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong because it's definitely one of those words that I've read a lot, but have very rarely heard actually spoken, but it's kind of the above and beyond obedience. Um, kind of basically put another way, the satisfaction that the, basically the, to borrow some of the language from the ransom theory, what was owed to God was because of, because of sin was greater than all humanity was capable of doing. They can only do what's required, but what God needed was something above and beyond. And so that's why God had to do it through Jesus, but it also had to be done by basically only God could do it. But because of the way sin was created, it had to be done by humans. So hence Jesus as the incarnate God in man was the only one who could do it. And so his, basically his surplus of going above and beyond the call of duty was enough for us. Um, and the way I kind of differentiate this between, I'll be curious, those of you who might be more steeped theologians can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but basically how I wrote this down in my notes when I was going through stuff from seminaries, like his death pays the honor owed to God that has fallen short um, in our sin it's a kind of an honor payment system like that. Like, like when you have a debt, it's not just the fact that you owe something. It's like, there's an honor needed to like, it, it, you know, it restores your honor basically. Um, but it's not the same as our penalty that's due. And that's what comes up in penal substitution. So that's where it can be kind of confusing between satisfaction theory and penal substitution. So penal substitution is when God, Jesus bears the penalty um, for sin in place of those who are, are united to him by faith. Um, and the main goal of his death is to satisfy God's justice and serve as an actual like payment to God. Um, this is one that is both more common, especially in American Christianity, but is also very hotly debated. So, um, that's probably the one, like if there was one, when I went into the class talking about theory, I was like, that's the one I've definitely heard of because that's the one I've heard how much people hate. Um, and then the final one is just moral example or moral influence. And that's the idea is like Jesus's death was really about influencing people to follow God. It, there wasn't any sense of needing to satisfy a divine justice or things like that, but instead persuade people to right behavior with God with the sense because of the sense of love that we would feel as a result from his death. And that's, <laughs> I don't know if it comes through in my tone, but that's definitely the one I'm most skeptical about because I'm like, there's actually nothing about the act of, the physical act of crucifixion itself that makes me think um, I want to love God purely because of this and not because it also pays a debt, right? Like if there was no debt that needed to be paid by the crucifixion, then why would I be inspired to follow a God who is like, I'm going to let myself be crucified. I don't know. I, I, anyone who's a proponent of that, who happens to be listening to this, it's like, oh, you're not thinking about it this way. I would actually love to hear that because I've always been skeptical of this one. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see a good, strong reason for it. But anyway, so those are kind of the main theories of atonement. 
And I, again, I recommend reading Scott Minnick's, but if you really want to get into that, and you can, I mean, Google search a lot of these. But I think it's helpful because, well, A, you start to see some of these, how these play out in things like worship songs or like I think about the Superman, the, the Croesus Victor one of like, God, you know, punched Satan in the face basically and rescued us that way. And we were the damsel in distress. And it's like, well, I mean, there's elements of that, but it's also kind of like, that's, I could see why that one kind of, you know, is appealing to some people because of, we like, we have that superhero complex. But when I think about the different atonement theories, like it's helpful for me in the sense, because like on one level, it can be very confusing, right? Because I'm like, okay, well, is this the better one or is this the right one? Like satisfaction, penal substitution. Like I don't like how any of these sound or I don't. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, but I, I see elements of all of these in scripture. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I said before, it's like the main thing, the main thing. Okay. There's validity in, in these. But at, like you said, Megan, like, does it matter at the end of the day? Like, like it, it does and it doesn't, right? Because mm-hmm. who it matters to is is God, right? But like, it's it's not like we're going to, you know, when we come before Jesus at the end of time or whatever, it's like, he's going to be like, so which of these six theories of atonement or eighth theory do you, but first of all, how many theories of atonement do you think there are? Wrong answer. <laughs> Next off, which of these atonement theories do you think is right? Wrong answer. Like, that's not going to be the questions <laughs> we're asked, right? Like, so on one level, I'm like, okay, that's good. That's good. I, I need it. I need it. <laughs> right. It's like, I needed to know these for seminary, but that's, you know, but I don't know. I guess, did I just recite all these and is it not actually helpful or not? I don't know. You be the judge. You tell me. I think for some people, it helps them to go through all the different possibilities because it helps them to keep the main thing, the main thing by researching and trying to figure out the whys they are keeping their focus on on Christ and why he did this. And if if, you know, that... The, the act of researching it can keep, you know, his his sacrifice, you know, up close and personal. I mean, of course, that's that's a great reason right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it helps to make it a, even a little bit more understandable, someone may not just gloss over it as impossible. Like if they if they go through those and they're like, you know what? That one does kind of make sense it, if that can plant a seed of a deeper faith. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think it's. I want to look up. There's a quote in the um, in the book, Scott McKnight's book early on. Let me go back and find it. Oh, OK. Yes. So he went in. Um, he spent some time kind of early in the book talked about like the, the kind of question of like why does it matter like why do we need to think about this and he brought up the the point in the lord's prayer wherein jesus says forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and he's like when i like look at that in this broader context it's like there's the sense like it what jesus does for us is what we then in turn do to others right like there's several parables about that so i just really like this one quote so i'm going to read this a sec here uh to be forgiven to be atoned for to be reconciled synonymous expressions is to be granted a mission to become a reciprocal performer of the same, to forgive, to work atonement, and to be an agent of reconciliation. Thus, atonement is not just something done to us and for us. It is something we participate in, in this world, in the here and now. It is not just something done, 
but something that is being done and something that we do as we join God in the Missio Dei or the mission of God. And I think, again, that's where I get to why, why for me, someone like me, it's helpful to know some of these things, but like at the end of the day, it also doesn't matter as long as I keep the main thing, the main thing, right? Of like, and this is where we, we talked about this in an earlier episode too, of like what I want to teach to my kids and how we distill this down to our kids is like, like I, I want my kids to act like they know God loves them and that God has saved them and that Jesus has made this tremendous sacrifice. Like, like the, it's no small thing for God to have gone through this and suffered and died and have been resurrected. Um, and like, we need to change our lives because of it. Like there's, there's a call to do that. But, and so that, that's that, like, let's say like there's that communal aspect. That's why the book is called a community called atonement. It's like, there's this idea of like, it's not just us that it impacts, right? Like we, we have to come from a culture where there, there's a very much an emphasis on the individual sin, which I'm not, I don't want to sell short, but like the power, if there's nothing, if the history of the church has done nothing else, it's, to show the power that Christ can do to change entire cities and families and countries and just like, you know, communities. And so that's where it's like, how do we, well, we'll get into the how in a minute. Why do we talk about this with our kids this way? Why do we want to think about this for ourselves? Because again, we are our kids first model. That's when I actually had this thought yesterday at, at story time at the library. Cause I hear this, this spiel a lot because we go to story time at the library a lot, but the, uh, the librarians are always talking about how like, you know, at the beginning of story time when they're getting ready, like you are your kid's first example. Like you are the one they're going to look to, like, I will do all these things because they're encouraging you to, you know, make the actions and sing the songs and do the things with the adults and basically be silly. And it's like, you are your child's first example. They will be looking to you to do the actions. You know, they will be looking to you to learn, right? So that's that's why we, you know, just spent an hour plus talking about the atonement. So that's what that's why I want to do it. But then again, and this this is the the last question I want to talk about today. And Megan, I definitely will not leave you alone in it, but I will defer to you and your experience in it of how do we try and discern how much of this to communicate to our kids and when, because I feel like every child is different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so this, this involves a double knowledge of not only knowing this stuff for ourselves and how we think about it, but also knowing our children well enough to know when they may or may not be ready for it. Mm-hmm. And when, and also kind of discerning, when is it not that we, we, how do I word this? how to discern when it's the difference between when we think they're not ready or when we're not ready for them to be ready, if that makes sense. That is a very good way of putting it. Um, much like the baby topic, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I, it was definitely mom in that conversation who wasn't ready for the conversation. Um, but... Uh, as far as this this goes, when when your kids are ready, how to talk to them about um, about you know crucifixion and and things like that. I mean, I have had all of the experience of seven and a half years as a parent, so a drop in the bucket 
um, compared to some, but um, in the experience that I've had, um, I really just, tr- we, Josh and I both, because um, Josh is really the point person. Uh, he, he really does a lot with, with these conversations. Um, he, so he and I kind of tag team on this, but just kind of reading, you know how they say read the room? you know, kind of, kind of read your kid, read his body language. Um, for Rory, if he's watching a show and, um, like a sad scene comes on and he's sitting across the room and then I look over and all of a sudden he's sitting right next to me, even if he didn't say anything, I can tell that the sad music, like, okay, there's a Winnie the Pooh movie (laughs) that, um, I, put on when Rory was maybe three years old. And there is a song that I heard it and I burst into tears. It was like the saddest song ever about, you know, eventually growing up and, you know, Mm -hmm. and like Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin, like not being together. And I pictured, you know, my little boy growing up. So of course for my mama's heart, I was all sad and emotional, but I turned and I looked at him and he is looking so like, dejected and he's like mommy i don't i don't like this movie like he wanted me to turn it off because it was too sad at three years old he was it, it was too sad um so i find with him i sort of test the waters with with different topics but then at the same time narnia is like the coolest thing in the world for him and um like he loves the narnia books and we've let him see the first movie and um i tried to skip the you know the battle scene with the white witch, she's like, "Mom, this doesn't bother me. Like, this is fine." And I'm like, "Really? But you can't stand. You can't watch Winnie the Pooh, really." Mm-hmm. So, um, it's really just figuring out, you know, with each kid. I think with Killian, he'll be like, "Yeah, okay, wow, that's intense." Like, I-, I think he'll have a much more even keel response. He's a lot like my husband. He's either ridiculously happy or upset. There, there's no middle ground. It's just one or the other. Whereas Rory is more like me, where he's got every emotion of the rainbow all at once. So um, when it comes to to talking about crucifixion, I start I start with the things he knows. I start with the simple, you know, you know that, you know, he had to die on the cross. And, and I just kind of watch if I start to see his face fall, I'll pause and he's old enough that I can ask him, Rory, how you doing? You know, is this, mm-hmm. is this too heavy? Like, are you, how are you feeling? And, and he's able to kind of articulate to me sort of how much is too much. I notice when he starts to pull back and he stops asking questions, because usually it's questions every five mm-hmm. seconds. Like he interrupts you. What about this? But what about this? But how about, you know, when he stops asking the questions, he's one of two things. He's either like, his he's off, his brain's gone, he's no longer paying attention, or it's becoming too much. And you just pull back. So you just kind of got to read your kids. And, you know, if if Rory is not ready to hear all the nitty-gritty until he's eight, that doesn't mean that Killian won't be ready until he's eight. Killian could be ready tomorrow. Like, it, they're just they're just different. Mm-hmm. They're just different kids. So start with what they know. Start with the basics. Move, you know, continue to add some things as you go. And, and always – I, I would say always pause and reiterate the main thing, you know, I know this is heavy. I know this is really hard and really sad, but why? Why did he need to do this? And I find that asking them the questions, 
they they start to put things together and can fill in the blanks so you don't really have to so mm-hmm. yeah um Again, it's very late. I don't know if any of that was coherent, (laughs) but that is kind of the approach we take with our kids with having to talk about some of these heavier topics. Um, Again, you know, we'll we'll get into it in another podcast, but we've had to have some several fairly, fairly difficult conversations um, Mm -hmm. with our kids Mm -hmm. surrounding hard topics. Um, Yeah, I feel like at some point the suffering conversation, because I was thinking about even now I'm like reflecting on like, oh, you know, I kind of poked fun at this meme of like, remember, Jesus didn't die for sins. He was a victim of the state and da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, I don't, we don't have time to obviously get it, do it at this point in the podcast. But like, I mean, there's, there's an element of, to that that's true of like, like, of like the beating that Jesus suffered, the torment, the mockery, a lot of those things are like, I mean, that was to quote unquote above and beyond, but that's like, yeah. there was a lot of injustice to like, Jesus was innocent. And, die, and like, that's kind of part of the point of why he needed to die the way he did. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. because he had to be perfect, like, and, you know, fulfill every obligation. Um, and, you know, if you're going to rectify sin, you can't have, you know, he had to be sinless. That's kind of part of the model of, you know, the sacrifice that's laid out in, in Leviticus of like, that you have to transfer sins to a blameless sheep, right? Well, that's mm-hmm. why the Lamb of God had to come. Um, but that's not to say that there's not injustice and there's not cruelty and there's not, I don't know how else to say it, but yeah, like that, there, that there's not injustice in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And and suffering and pain and yeah, because again, this is why so many of these questions do get kind of back to that that underlying question, like why does why do bad things happen? But then yeah. you can use the cross when having those difficult conversations mm-hmm. about other things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, we'll get into this another day, but um, we've experienced a few losses in our family, some pretty close ones. And those hit Rory very hard. Um, mm-hmm. They hit me very hard. And we, you know, I've been able to use the cross and I've been able to use the life of Jesus and his teachings to kind of help him to process and understand. So. Um, it's just, it all just kind of points right back. So Hebrews four, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And that's, I mean, that gets to the sin aspect, but it does get into the whole, like the suffering, feeling, pain aspect. And I think mm-hmm. if there, if there's one thing that I've read in a lot of my books on atonement and studies on this is like, People who come from backgrounds where there's a lot of justice and insuff- uh, injustice and suffering in their life have very different feelings of like, this had to happen this way because how else could there have been justice in the world? Mm-hmm. So I think that's something obviously for another another time too. But yeah. I think, yeah, the main thing, the main thing. Well, thank, went- May, I just want to say thank you for that because that, that what, what you should, I know, like I said, it's late at night that we're recording this, but uh, I, I think... So the start with what you know and then kind of just read the room is really helpful yeah and remember how jesus taught he told mm-hmm. stories he, he told it he used examples that the people of that time they could understand mm-hmm. and and that's i've found the best way to share this the even the hard stuff with your kids is to use examples that they can understand concepts that that can make it understandable to them jesus he laid it all out he gave us he gave us the blueprints you know so this is this is nothing that josh and i have come up with you know we're we're just kind (laughs) of following the blueprint yes exactly 
We have found it to be helpful. Follow in Jesus's footsteps. That's mm-hmm. the sum of life right there. <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you all for listening. I know this one, this one turned in kind of a long one. Um, and we didn't even get to the really the Easter part of Easter, which is the resurrection, which we, full disclosure, that's my plan for our next episode is probably to start getting to, to some questions about the resurrection and maybe a little bit about hell. We'll see. We are, like I said, this is coming out Holy Week. We are in kind of the dark part. Good Friday has to come first before Easter can come. That's why we talked about that today. But Easter is coming. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really, really good stuff to think about with the resurrection. So that'll probably be a little bit what, what we talk about next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, if you liked this episode, if you found it helpful, if you have feedback for us, we'd ask if you have time to leave a quick five-star review. We would love that to help other people find the podcast, to share this episode, forward it to your friends, um, connect with us, whether via email, faithlikeachildpod at gmail.com, especially if you have questions or feedback and want to dive into stuff. Um, or there's a link in the show notes to the Facebook community. Um, I will try. I think I failed after the last episode. I will try and post a little note of like, here's where you can leave comments or do questions or discussions if you want. So far, we haven't really had anyone take us up on that. So because it's a small community, but we can only go up from here, right? Keep growing. <laughs> um, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so that you know when the next one comes out. And with that, we will sign off and talk to you next time. Bye. I will edit this out in post. Uh, It's one of those moments where we need to insert a blooper. Right. (laughs) Quick, make a funny remark. Um, it's too late at night for a funny remark. Oh. My brain stopped working an hour ago. <laughs> Conveniently, that was right when we started. I know. <laughs> <laughs>